Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. Why would you want to go back automatically? Just assume you want to go back to doing what you were doing in January or December as soon as we get to see some light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, it just depends on whether the the new stuff that you implement is working. If we're learning some new things with these creative constraints in place and they work, why wouldn't you keep doing them? Those would be things that you would want to keep doing if you're seeing results that are maybe even in some cases better than they were before. Like Bridget said, we started this shift to account-based marketing last fall. But when we originally talked about it, I think we were sort of thinking it as like 50-50 account-based marketing and more sort of traditional demand gen type. And now I don't know if we'd go back. I don't think we'd go back to 50-50 because we're seeing such momentum with the account-based efforts and we're seeing the way the teams are collaborating more. It feels to me like maybe 50-50 wasn't the right mix after all. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Chris Grams. Chris is the head of marketing at Tidelift, and he's joining me along with my great friend, Bridget Gleason, who's head of sales and customer success at Tidelift, on this episode of Sales Enablement to talk about how to sell into a future that is full of uncertainty. And we're going to dive into the strategies you can use to sell and win deals in a recession, because let's not kid ourselves, we're in a recession, we're going to emerge from the urgency of this crisis into a recession, so what does that mean for the marketing and sales strategies you need to implement going forward? I mean, look, as someone who has successfully sold through five periods of significant financial and economic disruption, I can tell you that in periods of disruption, there are always opportunities that can be found. So listen in as Chris, Bridget, and I dig into the strategies that you can use to identify the opportunities for your sales in the coming months. Now, before we get to Bridget and Chris, I want to let you know that everyone who works hard to produce this podcast is incredibly grateful for all of you who support us by listening to the show, telling your friends, sharing it on social media, and most importantly, subscribing to the show and giving us your feedback in the form of a rating and review. Thank you. All right, let's jump into it with Chris and Bridget. Bridget and Chris, welcome to the show. Hi, Andy. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Andy. Nice to talk to you. Bridget brought a friend. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, Bridget, introduce your friend who's joining us today. So Chris and I are colleagues at Tidelift. Mm -hmm. We are part of the Smarketing team. Smarketing, oh, we're going for the buzzwords. We we don't, Chris can chime in, we don't really like the name Smarketing, but (laughs) it it actually, we're one team. 
Mm-hmm. Sales and marketing. We are truly integrated one team. We have our meetings together. We've got one funnel. We report to the board together. We're really integrated. It's it's an amazing, amazing friendship. Chris, why don't you give just a little bit about your background? Because you also have sort of an unusual background and have done some really great and interesting things. Yeah, thanks, Bridget. Well, I'm, I'm actually... Yeah, I'm an accidental marketer, I would say. Uh, I, I actually started off my career as an editor in book publishing and then somehow made it to a company called Red Hat when they were very, very small. It was about 100 people when I joined and, uh, and started off in a sort of communications role with them. And long story short, spent 10 years there. The company became about a billion-dollar company. And then I left and I actually started my own branding agency and uh, where I was basically the head of sales for an, the next 10 years and then ended up leaving to join one of my clients and some old friends from Red Hat, which was, uh, which was Tidelift. And that's how I met Bridget. And, uh, and, you know, I would say that has been one of the coolest experiences of my uh, marketing career, getting a chance to work with Bridget here just for the last uh, six or eight months, because I'd never gotten a chance to do this whole marketing thing before. Mm-hmm. And, and like Bridget said, uh, both of us kind of wince when we hear that term. We, it, yeah, I think it actually comes out of uh, the HubSpot guys, you know, uh, back in the, you know, like 2006, 2007, right. Mike Volpe right. and all those folks. And, you know, HubSpot has a tendency to be kind of cheesing, cheesy with some of their marketing and stuff like that. So it's sort of a cheesy term. And the other thing I don't like about it is that... Um, you know, sales only gets an S and marketing gets the whole word. So it's like marketing, but, uh, but, you know, sales, like Bridget said, we're really sort of integrated um, as one team. We share the same OKRs. We, you know, have our meetings together. You know, we hang out together when we're at company meetings and stuff like that. So, uh, so yeah, it really feels good to do this for the first time as one team. And let's not forget though, Chris, the, I know you have more of the letters, but S is capitalized. That's a good point. And it's also first. And it's first. And it's first. Yeah. Let's not forget that. So really to use the, the jargon of the day is you've achieved sort of this perfect, quote unquote, perfect sales marketing alignment. Well, I certainly hope so. Yeah. Uh, Bridget and I, uh, you know, like we're close and we're friends and, uh, and we enjoy hanging out with each other. It's one of the things I look forward to every week is my hour one-on-one with Bridget, where we get to catch up on stuff. And I feel like our teams are working that way too, where they enjoy working together. And my experience has been certainly in bigger companies like Red Hat. And previously I was in IBM sales and marketing don't always get along and don't see eye to eye and don't have the same uh, same goals. Yeah, so let's talk in serving practicalities about how that how that really works. So you said you share a funnel. So describe that. Chris, maybe do you want to talk about uh, our OKRs and because that really shows the shared funnel that we they're all integrated and we really we drive the company drives its business on OKRs. We go through them at our weekly meeting. Right. So explain to people what the OKR is. Okay, go for it, Chris. Yeah. So OKR, for anybody who's not familiar with that term, stands for Objectives Key Results. It came out of uh, some technology world. I think it was actually a VC who originally, maybe at Intel. Sequoia. uh, Sequoia. Yeah, it was Sequoia and maybe uh, a former Intel person who 
who originally came up with the term. But the idea is it's very simple. It's just sort of like quarterly goals, setting them up, but keeping them simple and having them operate across the entire company. So you set an objective, which is sort of the thing that everyone can rally behind. And it's usually something that feels exciting or feels meaty, um, like a big revenue target or you know something that you're going to do on the product side. And then the key results are the, the simple metrics that you use to track those. And and you change them, in our case, um, some organizations change them at different intervals. We change them once a quarter, although we don't necessarily change them completely once a quarter. Sometimes, sometimes we have uh, key results that go over from quarter to quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the way that Bridget and I have done it is we've just set one set of OKRs for marketing, for sales and marketing as a whole. And where. I think the misalignment happens between sales and marketing in some organizations is when they're setting their goals, like marketing, for example, might just have a lead goal. And so they just have a top of funnel lead goal to generate, you know, 5,000 leads in a quarter. And if they get their 5,000 leads at the end of the quarter, they do a happy dance and they're like, sales, why aren't you delivering the sales? You right, know, right. we knocked it out of the park. Well, Bridget and I don't even really bother with, like we have a, a lead number that we're going for as a target. But it's actually not even a key result for us. The The overall thing is hitting the revenue goal. And if we're not hitting the revenue goal, then we feel like as a sales and marketing group that we're not doing our job correctly. And then the thing that we care about most next after the revenue goal is opportunities created. And so my team is not incented to go out and, um, thank goodness, go out and just go to trade shows and scan badges and give away T-shirts because there are no uh, events or trade shows right now. So that would be a tough thing for us to hit our number on. But instead, we're trying to say, what are the smartest things we can do on a marketing side that are going to generate actual opportunities that we can convert into revenue? Because we're not winning unless we're hitting that revenue number along with our counterparts in sales. Interesting. Then, then how do you uh, work together, like working on deals, or do you, is that a handoff? You know, once there's an opportunity. Oh gosh, the the marketing and marketing is so integrated. Also, just as w- when you say something becomes an opportunity, Andy, is that your mm-hmm. question? Yeah, I mean, once the deal's actively being worked, how does marketing participate at that point? Oh, well, we're, we're, first of all, going after big accounts. So we're definitely, we don't even do ABM, we do ABS, but um, there's content that they create that can be used sort of to, uh, to expand our reach within accounts. There's webinars that they put on. Um, they, they work with us on, we've got a, an advisory workshop slash diagnostic Mm-hmm. That marketing is our partner in putting together proposals, making them beautiful, doing presentations, helping with demos. We are truly integrated, truly integrated. It's and even going going earlier in the funnel, we in our leadership team meeting today, we were talking, we were looking at the OKRs, and we traditionally had been very event sort of lead focused. And our CEO had asked about the lead number going up when we don't have events. And it's because the whole team really shifted emotion around doing more outbound. We always did outbound, but doing Mm -hmm. more outbound. And so it's, it's the sales team 
and the, I mean, truly the marketing team creating assets, webinars, helping with some of the cadences that we do. It's, it's a very um, fluid organization, and yet people are clear about what, like, what they're adding to it. So it's not, it's not chaotic. We've tried to be really, um, really smart about, especially in the environment that we're in right now, where we can't go out and get events from, uh, from trade shows or things like mm-hmm. that, which was, you know, that's a little bit the, the lazy marketing dream. You know, if you do just have a lead number, you can just sign up for a bunch of events if you have the money and then go out and, you know, scan enough badges to hit your number. But what we've done instead of that sort of approach now is, um, you know, like Bridget said, it's a more account-based marketing or account-based marketing, you know, the way we refer to it, ABS uh, kind of approach where because we're not investing that effort in events, we have bandwidth on the marketing side to go out and do deep dives on researching um, good outbound leads and then how to best mm-hmm. approach those leads. Like what are the materials? So for example, we're doing these we call them slide docs um, based on uh, Nancy Duarte uh, sort of originated that term, but they're basically sort of halfway between a white paper and a presentation that somebody could read on their own. But we're doing Mm -hmm. things like very customized slide docs um, for verticals that we're going after so that our salespeople, when they go into these outbound, they're not just going in cold asking to do a demo or something like that. They can actually offer something of value to give these um, these prospects a perspective on their world um, with what Tidelift brings in terms of value. So it's very much you know a, a straight account-based marketing kind of approach where we're trying to bring value and um, not just go in you know cold calling, but instead bring information that uh, the prospects will want. And uh, and that's a partnership. That's not something that sales can has the time to do on their own and still be able to be on the phone and contacting people via email. So we're trying to create those materials to support their efforts. So last question on this, because we've got another topic we want to, <laughs> we brought you here to talk about, but I, this is fascinating, is uh, so how, if you're that tightly connected and working in tandem uh, throughout the selling process, so how has that affected how you compensate both sales and marketing? Um, it hasn't. Okay. The reason I ask is that yeah, I've seen situations where you have that tight alignment where yeah, sales uh, you know perhaps doesn't isn't as aggressive a commission plan and center plan because you know they couldn't get it done without the marketing people. Yeah, from our perspective, I feel like on the marketing side, the um, we're such a, a goal oriented company and I'm a goal oriented person. And I think Bridget is a very goal oriented person. Our teams are just driven. They just want to achieve the goals. Like they really, you know, they, our teams are super, super excited every week to sort of show the progress against the goals we do, you know, weekly, we're always sort of tracking against those OKRs, probably to a point where people roll their eyes about, you know, like, uh, there's Chris talking about the OKRs again, but uh, but we really, really stay on point with it. And um, I think we have a competitive team, like a team that really, really wants to win and succeed and hit the goals. And for good reason, because we feel like we're doing something, our company is doing something meaningful in the world that's actually going to make a dent. And, and, uh, and so people are excited about it. Yeah, no, I don't doubt that. I just, the point was about sometimes when you truly have a team sales, you 
you reward people differently than you would if it was more of a a loan sale or one or two people working on it. So just curious about that. Um, all right. So main topic we're going to talk about today was was uh, how to sell in a recession. Um, or how to establish your sales priorities in a in a downturn. So this was based on a presentation you guys had made to um, potential investors. I thought it was really interesting. So tell us a little bit about your thinking and putting that together. Okay, I'll start. And then, Chris, if you want to uh, chime in. So when this, when this hit, we had to adjust really quickly. And just, it, I don't think ours was a huge pivot. Chris and I made some choices earlier uh, in the year, late last year, around moving to a more account-based approach, which served us well, and having a target audience um, that ended up being sort of in the right quadrant in terms of their financial health, and they aren't as affected by COVID. So, anyway, we had to we had to make some some quick um, edits and just to the way we were doing things. No more events, etc. And so I guess the the genesis of this was then being asked to present to a group on, all right, we've got a bunch of young, small companies, first-time CEOs. How should they be thinking about prioritizing sales in this time of COVID-19? And the bottom line, and we, we, we talked sort of at very little was theoretical. We tried to give them things that were, were much more practical, but kind of the bottom line is there's still money out there, mm-hmm. but you but you have to go find it. And so the river's still flowing. It's just not as flowing as robustly, and it may have been diverted. And in certain situations also, uh, budgets are increasing or maybe had no impact. And in some cases they're even like we do a lot around or kind of tied to um, kind of digital transformation. Mm-hmm. And some of those are actually accelerated. Yeah. Well, th- you, you make the point up front, which I think is really important for people to keep in mind. Cause I there's a lot of wisdom in there, which was that you can fear a recession and go into sort of shutdown mode. I've been on startups years ago or, you know, they thought they could cut to the bone and preserve the company rather than going out and investing in, in finding the opportunities. And you talk about that as, you know, there's always opportunity to be found. It's just that, you know, there's been a shift in the way people are prioritizing what needs to get accomplished, and you need to be in tune with that. Right. And we we sort of framed the presentation, again, trying to be very pragmatic around who is it that you should be targeting? You know, if you if if your target had been restaurants, okay, you, you may need to rethink that a bit. Are there any changes, sort of any changes that you should make to your product offering? Um, how kind of the method, the methods by which you are going to to interact? So again, we did we had a lot of our leads coming from events. If that's gone, what do you do? And then finally, kind of the why. And we found our messaging had to shift also. So those were the things that we then sort of pulled apart 
and talked a bit about different different things that we were doing at Tidelift um, and offering those up as things that could be useful in other environments as well, in other companies. Yeah, and there's going to be some permanent structural changes, obviously, that come about as a result of, of COVID-19 that will, I think, fundamentally impact how accounts are addressed. And I'm just curious what you guys are thinking about that. Well, I think certainly one thing, you know, Bridget mentioned this one earlier, but it, it was it was just sort of bad timing. But we were just prepared to launch this sort of advisory workshop program that we had developed where we were going to go out and do sort of a design thinking based um, you know, series of conversations with a client to help them understand in our in our case, you know, we're help, helping sell software and services around open source software. Mm-hmm. And so we were going to help them understand how um, to best utilize open source. And we had to very quickly pivot just because we had a couple of these opportunities that were in great shape. But then we quickly realized as this started happening that nobody was going to be flying anywhere for a while. And we weren't going to be able to do these as in-person meetings. So like taking that offering and reframing it as a diagnostic that was able to be done online and preserve as much of the fidelity as possible in doing that, that was, um, you know, that was a challenge. But I think also just in terms of like sales conversations and, you know, the way we're having conversations now, there's some things that, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's hard things like the, you, there's, never any substitute for meeting somebody face to face, but there's also right. silver linings in that. I think it's, I think it's going to be easier to get more people in one place. If it's on a zoom call, you know, sometimes you're meeting with a client and you know, something happened, they weren't able to get into the office that day or, you know, had to work from home or there's people on two different continents. Uh, and so you would have to travel to go see them both. And you end up flying all the way across country to go into an office where you're talking to one person live and three people are on a conference call you know, now it's almost like levels the playing field in some of these cases where we can get the right people on the on the Zoom call talking together. I don't know, Bridget. What do you think? Yeah, I I think that's a a really really great example is just the the pivot that we had to make from an in person two day event to an online diagnostic. But boy, we've had meetings where we've had people from all over the country and. Also, Europe, it's hard to get Europe, US, and APEC at the same time. Um, b- bigger meetings than we ever could have gotten in person or ever would have. So we're getting, we're, we're getting um, good participation. So when things, again, whatever the next normal is, when they sort of reach that stage, do you want to be able to preserve what, what you're doing now, having better meetings, bigger meetings online, people participating, as opposed to you, Todd said before, is traveling and getting one in person and three remote. Is that something you want to preserve? I think we definitely are going to look to preserve the things that are helping to accelerate deals and progress. So doing more remote, certainly, because I think mm-hmm. we're going to be in a situation uh, for a while. I agree. There are some things that we were talking about earlier today in our leadership team meeting, just the, the, not only the creativity, but just the, the, the thought and the process and the strategy around connecting in a meaningful way with prospects to, to, to have conversations with them that our team is doing is nothing short of, 
brilliant and, and how they're figuring out. I'm sorry, give us an example. So we, we had a, uh, an event that we were inviting people to a financial services event, high-end contacts, and the BDR manager had did this strategy where she would connect with a bunch of people on LinkedIn, but not send a message. So she, this is all very deliberate. Connect with them on LinkedIn. When they replied, she would get a notice on her phone, maybe Sunday. She would reply right back, letting them know why she wanted to connect. And I don't know, there were at least a dozen um, we post everything in Slack, a mm-hmm. dozen examples with her alone of interactions that she would have with people on LinkedIn about this this event. She got amazing traction. Um, we're, I'll just give you the LinkedIn since I've, I've already started on that. Using LinkedIn where we they, the, the BDRs have tagged prospects in these target accounts by persona mm-hmm. and the call blitzes that they're doing. They had a call blitz yesterday and I think three opportunities came out of it. It was an hour, hour, hour and a half call blitz. Mm. We, I, I think another one we had in maybe a week uh, of the five, let's say five discovery calls in whatever period of time, all five turned into opportunities. So getting better at targeting and the right message. So just having to be better, they just have to be better to cut through the clutter and to get that meeting. And they're starting to put process around it. And again, this is the combined team. Um, There are a couple people that are on the marketing side of marketing that sit in the team, the individual like regional team meetings each week mm-hmm. um, so that they have a good pulse on content that needs to be created. Okay. If we do a webinar, what does it need to be? Okay. What's the right kind of messaging? Do we need to have that reflected back on the website? How does the trial need to be tweaked based on the personas that we're seeing? Well, you, you had an interesting line in the the presentation which is saying a recommendation, actually, which was concentrate on fewer leads, but contact them more thoughtfully and more often. And isn't that what we should be doing anyway? Yes. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's recommended as a strategy for selling into you know, a downturn. But yeah, I sort of look at that and think, well, isn't that what we should be doing anyway? And I know many companies don't. I mean, that's why I think it's a good recommendation is for all times, not just now. Well, I, I think this is one of the gifts of COVID-19 is that it it forces companies, and I'll say our teams are a great example, to, to implement more best practices and just be better. You know, we can get lazy. And, and I don't think we have a, I don't think our team is lazy at all, but I think it's when you've got a lot of different ways to contact you, we're just not as sharp as we could be. And I think one of the great benefits is is the um, the narrowing of of things that we that of resources available to us to connect and 
as you asked, Andy, like how, which of these are we going to take forward when this passes? I think we're going to take a lot of them because they typically are best practices. Yeah, I sometimes talk about it as uh, the power of creative constraints that Mm -hmm. uh, when you're in a recession or recessionary environment and budgets are cut, you're sort of forced to be a little bit more creative and do things just like a painter who might do their best work when they work with a palette of just two colors versus when they have every color, you know, possible that they could choose from. Um, Sometimes it's the focusing that allows you to do the best work. And I found that certainly during going through uh, multiple recessions at Red Hat, Mm -hmm. um, where we didn't have budget um, to do things. So we did some of our most innovative, creative work in those periods. And I I feel like we're getting ready to go through that renaissance again uh, at Tidelift, where we're starting to, as Bridget said, we're starting to learn some new things and try some new things that we might not have done if we could just throw a couple extra dollars at AdWords. But um, but now with limitations, we're going to have to you know try some things that are a little bit more fun or interesting or exciting to get people's attention uh, out of necessity more than anything else. Then how do you preserve that? that spirit going forward, right? Because then always the tendency is to sort of fall back on, you know, when times get better, we've got more money, we can do these things. And to Bridget's point, it's not you're just being lazy, but perhaps, you know, not as focused. I think it's culture. I think you just have to build it into the culture where people recognize that. And some of it comes from, you know, like when my early days at Red Hat, I started at Red Hat in 1999. And so, you know, my early days were sort of the dot bomb 2001 Mm -hmm. sort of time frame where Red Hat stock price went from $150 a share to like three or $4 a share. And, you know, we were kind of dealing with trying to figure out how to sell into the enterprise when, uh, you know, most companies were going under in the, mm-hmm. you know, sort of internet field. And so it, from the very start, we kind of built it into the culture. And then later when we probably could have spent more money on stuff, we just didn't because we had this more, you know, we had a skill set of people who are more creative that we had hired because those are the people who sort of survived during those recessionary times and thrived. And, you know, I, I I hope and wish the same um, for for us and for other businesses that are in similar situations and what we're in right now, that they find that these skills that they're developing right now and those sort of creative constraints that they're putting in place, they can kind of build them into the culture as guardrails. So in times where they have more money and they have more opportunity to go out to trade shows and do things like that, they're approaching them in a smarter way. Well, I think it's a good perspective because, yeah, it starts with management and the culture. And, you know, we've all seen it in, you know, particularly in, let's say, SaaS companies. It's, you know, this emphasis on how many calls you're making and how many outreaches and not as much emphasis on, was that a good conversation? You know, was that a good call to make? Are we making the right the right calls to the right people, the right targets? And, yeah, you just don't want to see people fall back into the, the bad ways. Because I think you're right. I think this is an opportunity to say, yeah. I mean, for many companies, you know, our growth rates may be slowed down for a year or two. But if we really find the opportunities, to your point in the presentation, find the problems that need to be solved during this time and help people solve them, then that's a different way of reaching out to people in different conversations you'll be having. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's culture. I think it's culture because it would be easy to just go back, you know, go back and do it the old way. But it's certainly not our culture at tide lift like we're pretty we're pretty lean well yeah i think it's really the the um 
the question that so many sales organizations are going to have to ask themselves is, yeah, we're not, yeah, business is going to be down for some, and not I'm talking about growth rates won't be as high as they have been, uh, which is the nature of recession. But it's, it's, um, yeah, they have to ask yourself, why would you want to go back automatically? Just assume you want to go back to doing what you were doing in January or December of last year or January of this year, as soon as we get to see some light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, it just depends on whether the the new stuff that you implement is working, right? I mean, like if we're if we're learning some new things with these creative constraints in place and they work, why wouldn't you keep doing them? Like uh, you know, like those would be things that you would want to keep doing if you're seeing results that are maybe even in some cases better um, than they were before. Like Bridget said, we started this shift to account based marketing uh, last fall before this happened, but now. Like when we originally talked about it, I think we were sort of thinking it as like 50 50, you know, account based marketing and more sort of traditional demand gen mm-hmm. um, type. And now I don't know if we'd go back. I don't think we'd go back to 50 50 um, because we're seeing such momentum with the account based efforts and we're seeing the way the teams are collaborating more. It feels to me like uh, maybe 50 50 wasn't the right mix after all. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, we're learning a lot. I, we're learning a lot. And I would say as, as stressful and uncertain as these times are, we're having a great time. <laughs> like we're really enjoying, uh, we're really enjoying it and figuring it out and doing it together and being scrappy and we're, we're having a good time. I think I'd like to get out of the house more though. Yeah, I was going to say, notwithstanding the fact you're quarantined in your home and can't go anywhere, but uh, except to the grocery store, but yeah. You know what though? You got to look glass half full. You two glass <laughs> well, half no, full. Well, no, I, I agree. I think you know for a lot of companies that that have come into this and embraced our philosophy you have, which is, yeah, there's still opportunities to grow here. We got to pick our targets more carefully. We got to be prepared to have better conversations with them, and emphasize, you know, the fact that we are selling to people and we can empathize with them and what they're going through. Find the common ground, as as Bridget, you and I have talked about then, yeah, this can be a very productive time. And there are lots of lessons to be learned that can be carried over to when the environment inevitably starts changing to whatever comes next. And can I also say, if I never go to a tech conference in Las Vegas, again, again <laughs> I will be eternally grateful. I don't, I don't miss it either. Yeah, I was going to say, who misses that? I mean, I know there are people who love Vegas and so on, but I think sort of true of, of a lot of the conferences. I mean, I, you attend some of the virtual summits and it's like, yeah, you know, I miss maybe getting out and meeting some people and meeting some new people, but I've actually still been doing that. Yeah, I have the benefit of doing it through this podcast, but um, yeah, you can still come out and connect with people and have conversations and don't have to go to Vegas to do it. Amen. So, all right. Well, guys, thank you very much for spending this time with us. Um, Bridget, Chris, if people want to connect with you guys, how can they do that? Bridget at Tidelift.com, at Bridget Gleason on Twitter. And I'm Chris at Tidelift.com and CD Grams, C-D-G-R-A-M-S on Twitter. CD Grams. Love it. It's like a musician name. <laughs> I like it. Absolutely. Uh, He's a musician. <laughs> are you? I am. What do you play? I, I play bass usually in bands, but uh, I've played just about every instrument. i got a room full of them here. Wow. Wow. I'd like to hear your music sometime. Maybe we'll show how you do the theme song for the show. 
<laughs> Bridget's still we're trying to get me to do a uh, a uh, tide lift uh, a tide lift song for uh, for the company too. That's that's somewhere on the list uh, underneath meet re- revenue number. Yeah, huh. yeah interesting. Right. That's right. Yeah, we need a theme song. The tide lift anthem. That's what I want to hear. Yep. Yeah, be that's of, right. Uh, the tide lift anthem. Oh my god, I can't wait. Rock. Yes, I can't wait. Classic rock and roll anthem, like you know, Starship. We built the city, something like that. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Next time. That's the challenge. All right. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks, Andy. Nice to meet you. Thanks, Andy. Okay, friends. That's it for this episode. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show, and I want to thank Bridget Gleason and Chris Grams for sharing their insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast, and leave us a five-star rating. You can do that all on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. My team and I would really appreciate it. So thank you so much. And until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales. We're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.